0: Welcome to the Western Baul podcast series with talks on traditional spiritual teaching and its application in the world today. The intention of the series is to offer something useful for those who are drawn to study themselves and engage practice on the spiritual path. New talks are posted twice each month. The content of the talks is for informational purposes only and not to provide any kind of counseling, medical, or professional advice. This podcast is titled, Timing is Everything, Opening to Windows of Opportunity in Life and on the Path. The talk was given by Vijay Fedorshak on July 23, 2022 via Zoom. Vijay is the organizer of the Western Baul podcast series and the author of Shadow on the Path and Father and Son. In this talk, he speaks about the physics of time in layman's terms and considers the essential aspects of timing in the spiritual process. He refers to teachings of E.J. Gold about the bardo, the state between death and rebirth, and about timing in comedy. B.J. reads from Lee Lazowick's journals and the book, Pay Attention and Remember, about the value of learning not to procrastinate when windows of opportunity present themselves, and about learning to follow what feels right. If there is benefit in this talk for you, please consider sharing the link to it or writing a review on social media or on one of the podcast platforms. BJ Fedorshak.
1: Well, this topic, timing is everything. Opening to windows of opportunity in life and on the path. I think that we all have a reference point for this. It really seems to me that to be open to opportunities to take advantage of them when they come. We have to be aligned with the timing of the universe and be willing to go there. I think that we might get into the deep end a little bit as we go along. But before we get into it, let's talk about time. To me, this is fascinating. Nobody really knows what time is, where it came from, how it started. You just assume there's time. And pretty much, even if we are up on the science of the last 100 years or so, it seems to me like we feel like it's a constant. We act as if it's a constant. But time is not immutable. Some of the discoveries that were made about time by Einstein 100 years ago, it's like science fiction. But as we kind of go along in time... What was science fiction really isn't science fiction anymore. It's reality. And I'd just like to spend a few minutes on this. Time is an illusion the way that we perceive it. It's relative to our frame of reference. We perceive three-dimensional reality. Lane, remember map, comes through width, and then depth. So we perceive in three dimensions. But there are more, not just theoretically. Actually, so how did we discover that space time is a whole other dimension that we don't really perceive in the way that we perceive things in three dimensions? Isaac Newton came up with these laws of gravity, which seemed immutable, but on closer examination are found not to be quite so. So, in terms of speed, if a train is moving along at 40 miles an hour, and you're observing that that thing's going at 40 miles an hour. But if it's going along at 40 miles an hour and there's another train that's going at 60 miles an hour, it appears like that train is going 20 miles an hour faster than than the other train. And if you're going along at 40 and somebody's coming at you at 60, it appears like that train is going at 100 miles an hour. It's kind of basic, it seems. But one of these physicists Maxwell, I think, discovered that wherever you observe light from, it's always traveling at the same speed. How is that possible? That's incompatible with the laws of physics as Newton perceived them. How is it possible that wherever you measure light from, it registers at the same speed, regardless of velocity? that you're going at, or where you're observing it from. And Einstein was perplexed by this. How is this possible that these laws aren't consistent? And he realized that what has to be different is time. So the faster we move through space, the slower time goes. And at the time that he came out with that, my understanding is that people thought that was crazy that the faster you move, the slower time goes. I've been really interested in science for laypeople because I'm not one of these kind of people that's going to be able to really get into the details of things. But the general overview of it, to me, really is helpful. He did this thought experiment. He used to work as a uh, patent clerk. And he took a tram home one day And he was imagining if he was traveling the speed of light, the clock tower that he was looking at, the hands would not move for him. But if someone were standing at the base of the clock tower, time would go as usual. And that supposedly blew his mind. It blows my mind now. Maybe you think this is a far out fairy tale, but apparently it's true. There is another dimension of time space that we don't really perceive. We perceive time. You can observe it. You can observe black holes. You can observe a clock, but we have a three dimensional reference point for it. Just a little more on this (laughs) because it blows my mind, actually. There's this experiment. You've probably heard of this the twins experiment. So you've got twins same age they look alike they talk alike like in that tv show from the 60s i can't remember it now but if one of them takes off at the speed of light how could you do that or close to the speed of light and turns around and comes back after 10 light years he may have aged minimally if he's traveling close to the speed of light but when he comes back His twin brother will have aged 20 years. Who knows in generations and centuries to come how this is going to play out in terms of the worlds that people live in. I mean, maybe not in the next hundred or thousand or a couple thousand years, but there's some pretty wild stuff relative to the way that we look at reality today that might happen. Also, he discovered, I think that that was related to his law of special relativity. And then there's also a law of general relativity. And that has to do with gravitational field. And as you get closer to something of huge mass and the gravitational pull is almost infinite, time slows down also. There's this movie, Interstellar. I haven't seen it, but I've read about it. It gets mixed reviews. It gets a tomato on Rotten Tomato, but there's critics who like it and critics who don't. Matthew McConaughey plays a character in that movie, and he's traveling to a planet that's close to a black hole. And it gets on the planet, and his line is seven years per hour here. Because they're so close to the black hole, it's exerting such an influence that time slows down. And so when he gets back to Earth, how could that happen people have aged decades anyway the point really is that our brains only comprehend in three dimensions and our assumptions about time and reality they may be so airtight but we may be very limited in terms of what we really understand about the universe and about ourselves time may even stop so if you travel at light speed, maybe there is no such thing as time. Or in a black hole. Well, we don't know. We're not going to get there. We live in this three-dimensional world, and we'll get more into that as we go through the talk. But I just want to mention a little bit about time. So there's this principle. You've all heard it, I'm sure. As above, so below. A hermetic spiritual principle based on the... Philosophy of some legendary figure from antiquity. Maybe he existed, maybe he didn't. Hermes Trismegistus, Hermes, Hermetic principles, okay? As above, so below. But it's really something to consider. It's a principle in some traditions, including the Bowel tradition, B-A-U-L. It says that smaller systems, particularly the human body, are miniature versions. Of a larger system, meaning the universe. So, by understanding the body, you understand the whole universe. This is actually somewhat comforting to me. We look outside of ourselves for answers, and maybe the answers really are within us. How to access those? Everything that we need is in us, according to this principle of as above, so below. So, does time stop? When there's infinite gravity, does time stop traveling at light speed? Does time stop for us, as above, so below? And when we die, when we enter a near-death experience, then what? Unlikely we're going to know that from this side with certainty. But there's something to this principle of time stopping that is worth considering, I think. Time seems to be associated with thought. When you're thinking, there's time. Have you ever been in a space, though, where time seemed to stop? You weren't thinking, you just were. There was just being or consciousness or awareness. How many of you have read the Castaneda books? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. My favorite was The Journey to Ixlan. When I read that book, I was wowed. In that book, Don Juan, the Yaqui sorcerer, is teaching Carlos. Initially, in the first couple of books, Carlos is using drugs. And for those who have used drugs, well, maybe we have had experiences of time stopping. How does that happen? Don Juan was okay with all this, using peyote and like that for a while. And then after that, the game changed. So in Journey to Ixlin, we're beyond the drugs. And he and Carlos are out. He would just take Carlos places and whatever would come up, whatever the universe would present would be the opportunity for Carlos to learn from. So it's a very creative process, which really, I think, applies to us too. When we don't hold on so tight to the way that our lives have to go, we can receive from the universe what we next need to learn and integrate. So Don Juan says to Carlos at this one point. I'm teaching you how to see as opposed to merely looking. And stopping the world is the first step to seeing. After stopping the world, the next step is seeing. By that, seeing, I mean what could be categorized as responding to the perceptual solicitations of the world outside of the description we have learned to call reality. So we tend to look at the world and see this going on and that going on. But really, we don't see the real world. We see our interpretations of it. We probably all know that and would agree with that. And yet that's our reality. We don't really see the world see the world. We see our interpretation of it. Don Juan says, when you see, there are no longer familiar features in the world. Everything is new. Everything has never happened before. The world is incredible. To me, it's not like this is a goal to try to reach some state that is something to be grasped for, but just to know that there is more than my interpretation of reality is helpful. So then what else is there? My experience with this has been in sitting with who I fully consider to have been a master Sitting with Yogi Ram Sarat Kumar, it just seemed like things were timeless, just absolutely timeless. There was just freedom and relaxation and love for an entire day. Now, the clocks continued to move, so it's not like <laughs> time wasn't going on, but there was this sense of another reality. To me, it seems like there's something drawing us to align with the movement of the universe. If we were perfectly aligned with the movement of the universe, there would be this kind of timeless state that I experienced, I think, with Yogi Ramsura Kumar. That's my fantasy, in a way, that being one with reality, there's ever present peace. That's the title of a book by Arnaud Desjardins, a French master who died. Several years ago. But that state of ever present peace, it seems like rather than trying to make something happen or figure something out or get somewhere to be with reality as it is, allows for a different experience of life, of being one with that, perhaps. But since that's not our state, it seems like what the universe does is that it draws us. To that we try to create these outcomes and the universe has other ideas has this been your experience you try to do something and you have a good plan and this is a good thing to do and then guess what no matter how good it was a thing that you were trying to do something comes up i mean i had a really wonderful african-american Friend who was clinical director at the treatment center where I work. She was an awesome person. And she was contributing to this treatment center's organizational change in a way that was so needed. So needed. She was not about ego aggrandizement. It seemed to me she didn't have a bone in her body that was about that. She really wanted to serve kids. And we were on the right path, and she got cancer, and she had to leave. And she died recently, and she's on my mind. We'll have a memorial in Tucson in a few weeks. But the universe, there is an intelligence to the universe, or maybe not. Maybe things are just so totally random and chaotic, or maybe there is activity that is drawing us into a deeper relationship with it. But I don't know about you, I resist a lot. What am I resisting is something for me to self-observe regularly. So I'm at my computer, I'm actually working on this talk yesterday and somebody calls me and it's like, I'm resisting this. Now it's time for me to start paying attention to what I'm going to talk about tonight. And I observe myself, I see that, and it's time to relax that. The universe is providing this. It's not this person. I can look at it like it's this person who's calling me about something. But in a way, in a non-dual sense, the universe is creating what comes to us all the time. Retirement. I'm really resisting this. I would like it, but then what am I going to do? I feel like I'm still contributing, but I'm also feeling, oh, the way things are, the signs, the messages I'm getting, maybe it's time, but I'm kind of resisting that. So I have, I think during this talk, maybe three questions to ask you. Here's the first. What do you resist? You're welcome to participate and speak or not, but I'm asking you to really think about that. What is it that you resist? It doesn't have to be some big thing, but are you in touch when I ask that question with something that you resist, small or big?
2: I live in Northern Idaho in a university town. And last week there was a concert in the university Arboretum. And it was in the evening. The trees and the flowers were giving off wonderful scents And the music was gorgeous. There's a wonderful music school at the university. So the music was top level. And I sat there taking it all in. And the thought was, I can't leave this place. Never. I can't leave this place. This is just, it's too beautiful. A few days from then, I visited friends of mine in Arizona, of all places, in the desert, which is Not my favorite place at all. And it appears that I'll be moving to Arizona very soon. Even though it seems to be what's calling, man, the resistance is very strong. I'm moving to a place that I don't like, leaving a place that I've really enjoyed and have gotten a lot of great nutrition from. It defies logic. So hence, the resistance.
1: And yet you must be feeling like it's the right thing to do.
2: Yes. It's interesting that I'm in the middle of this course now that I'm taking with this teacher that I'm affiliated with. And one of the subjects of the course are what he calls soul values, which has to do with defining what values take seniority in your life at any given time and there have been enough signs if you will that being with people that I share something with something deep with is a higher value for me at this point in my life than the trees and the <laughs> and the greenery and all that
1: Well you can go and visit <laughs> yeah great thank you I'll talk about my resistance to
3: aging. Yeah, And of course, the more that I resist, the more that I focus on my limitations, the less vitality I have, and the more I can feel constrained. However, recently, I'm just more into accepting it and also understanding that I am not my body. And what I see is how much I have identified with my body. We all do to a certain extent. And then there's that identification, that overlay of who I think I am because my body is a certain way or not. And as I just am into being present, there's more peacefulness. One of the things about my body aging is I have to move slowly and carefully. I really have to be more present. And if I am not, I hurt myself, my body. So... In letting go of the resistance, not entirely, but in in loosening that resistance and loosening that hold, uh, I find myself more alive, more vital, more grateful also, things like that. It's more about allowing myself to be present rather than resisting. And in being present, I am more, in a sense, also more in that timeless state because I'm just more in the present, not thinking about how it was or how it's going to be.
1: Loosening resistance seems to me a worthwhile way to work with ourselves. Resisting all the way up to the end is probably not such a pleasant experience. My mother got arrested. She died a couple of years ago, and this is completely off-road, meaning no disrespect. I love my mother. Her and my father are both in our closet. They're ashes. And we will finally disperse them. But she always used to say, my mom always used to say, you know, I don't understand. I'm so tired. Yeah, but mom, you're 91 years old. I still think of myself as being an athlete or something. Who am I kidding? You have that idea of yourself. I have this idea of myself. The ideas that we've had, the the constructs that we've had about time, are not real. The constructs that I have about myself, I don't really believe that's not real, also. So, what is there? I think by loosening resistance, you have open to that a little bit. To me, the only thing that seems to bring the possibility of true peace is surrender to the universal movement and timing. Of so you can't separate the two the movement of things and the timing of things. It's happening now. If I want to surrender to the movement of things, now is the time. I'm on the phone, this guy calls, and I'm really feeling my resistance. But if I want to align with what's really going on, this is the time now. That's one of my practices now, to allow myself to be interrupted at times when it's inconvenient. Oh my gosh, there was this teacher that I met years ago on a trip to Germany named Dina Rees. We learned from so many different sources. I had just heard of Dina Reese. She knew my teacher, who... A visit was arranged with, and we all went. And her practice was whenever anybody called on the phone, she talked to her. And she had a lot of students, I think hundreds. And people would call her all the time. While we were just meeting with her for a couple hours, she got, I don't know how many calls. I want to exaggerate, probably three or four calls. And that's what she did. She just said, excuse me, and went and talked to the person. Not like we should do that necessarily, but that had an impact on me. Windows of opportunity. They seem to come on the universe's timing and are completely unexpected. For me, I was in college and I met somebody who was a teacher on the path. And I just started studying with that person, Lee Lasley. I was being fed, teaching and given experiential opportunities to learn how to work in ways such as loosening resistance, I suppose. And this was vital for me. This was very important for me. And then all of a sudden, he decided that he wanted to move to Arizona. And he invited anybody in the group who was coming to meet with him to move. It turned my world upside down. I was really not sure that I wanted to do that, to leave my life behind in New York, New Jersey. And moved to Arizona, a completely unknown situation, completely unknown. And I don't know. It just happened. I can't say that I did that. But I went with my fingernails kind of scraping on the sidewalk. But I went. And the whole trajectory of my life changed as a result. The point I'm wanting to make is just that sometimes we find ourselves at a crossroads. You could do this, or you could keep going the way that you're going, or you could go a different direction. And depending on what you choose, your whole life changes. I mean, this is for everybody. I was living up in Boulder, Colorado, and my wife, may she rest in peace, said to me, oh, I just took a pregnancy test and I'm pregnant. And I sat on a couch for hours. We had one child. This is the second one that's coming. And in a flash, it occurred to me what to do. We should move back to Arizona. And oh, by the way, what would I do? I could go to school here in Prescott and study to be a therapist, make a career change. In my life, that was huge. You can go this way or you can go that way. So here's my next question for you. What opportunities have come to you unexpectedly on the universe's timing? Which ones have you taken? Which ones haven't you taken? When have you been at a crossroads? When the timing has been just the way that it is, and you kind of have to make a decision. And if you wait too long, maybe the opportunity is not going to be there. But you guys have gone through a life And there have been times when you made some changes. I know that. When something came along and you were faced with a choice. I'm going to read this. And feel free if anyone would like to speak. This is from one of Lee Lazo's journals. Every task has its own inherent timing, its window of opportunity, so to speak. And if we miss the open window, it is futile to then pursue the task. The time, the window could be one minute, one hour, one day, one week, or a hundred thousand years. But let's say that to act quickly and decisively, albeit please, never stupidly and inconsiderately, heightens the probability that we'll ace the timing. Tasks are spiritual. Tasks that are spiritual are affects and effects of the great work. This fact does in no way mean that the tasks are not intricately woven in and through the worldly milieu. So it doesn't have to be the spiritual task. It can just be, okay, I am going to get married. I'm going to live with this person. Or I am going to take a different job. Just presents itself. And it feels right. And the timing is such that if you don't take the job, somebody else is going to get it. And you won't have that experience in your life. And your life will kind of go in a different direction. So that might not seem like a spiritual task, but everything is spiritual. This change in your life is communicating something to you. One day there is one possibility, and the next day, the next moment, that possibility could be not only handicapped, but completely shattered. So in other words, it doesn't pay to drag your feet. Although measured investigation, collection of data, talking to key people may be necessary to the intelligent, workable investment in the past. It is not profitable to do too many test studies. I feel like if something feels right to me, maybe I should jump. It's not like I'm gonna make a stupid decision. I'm gonna really look at what that means financially and emotionally and in all ways, but if it feels right. Not like I'm rolling the dice. 22, come on. Opportunities you have missed? Oh, once I had the opportunity to write a book, an idea was presented to me that I could do this, and I really wanted to do it. But I had all these other things in my life going on, and I let it go, and I let it go, and I let it go, and then somebody else did We all have regrets. I have regrets. If I had that to do over again, I would figure out a way. It said, I mean, who knows, The time is different in other realities. I mean, who even knows? Maybe you die and there is no reality. That's it. But there's enough that's been said about it by people who seem to really know what they're talking about in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition and in many traditions about the Bardo. It said that in that state and who knows how many other dimensions there are, our habits will get us through. The habits that we have, that's what moves us. To me, in our space-time reality that we have, it's pretty important to work on developing these habits of surrender. So maybe surrender is exactly the antithesis of a habit, but I'm just calling it that for conversational purposes, like to talk about loosening our grasp on things. That would be a good habit to have. And we can develop that in space-time and our habits carry us through, according to this teacher. So when the opportunity is present, ripe, don't hesitate, or don't be impulsive or blind. To move forward and investigate your options, and should the fit be right, Don't procrastinate, for such opportunities don't always last forever. Well, they do last forever when they are right, but the immediate opportunity may not last beyond a certain window, even if it will show up again in another time and place, but perhaps not in this lifetime. I said we were going to get a little bit into the deep end here. I read somewhere that grief is not a private affair. I think, in some indigenous cultures. And I have decided not to be so private about my own grief. So my wife died two years and two months ago. And this is the last thing that I would like to call an opportunity. But the universe, within 24 hours, created this situation. And it was, you need to be with this thing fully. No time for procrastinating to fully be with that situation was so important to me. Sometimes people don't make contact with someone who is dying, they don't do it for whatever reason. And once that opportunity is gone, it's gone. And people sometimes have a lot of regrets. I have a regret. There was someone, a good friend of mine years ago, I just didn't think that. That was really going to happen so quick. It did. And I didn't get the chance to say goodbye. I really regret that. I get this point. The universe operates on its own timing. And when I get the message, something feels right, don't procrastinate. Check out the whole situation. Don't impulsively jump into something that's foolish. But if it feels right, go for it. So then timing in everyday life. There's one teacher, I've just seen him a couple of times, who used to work with his students with stand-up comedy. And I never saw this. I just heard about it. I said, wow, that's something. With comedy, it's all about time. Some of you probably remember Rodney Dangerfield. Sometimes I find these YouTube videos. I try not to do this too much, but I'm watching a video on something and, whoa, there on the screen is Rodney Dangerfield. And I remember him. I haven't thought about Rodney Dangerfield for decades, but he was very funny. I was reading a couple of his jokes. He was, as are all really good comedians, a master of timing. So uh, people say fish is good for a diet, but fish should never be cooked in butter. It should be cooked in its own natural oils. Texaco, Chevron, Exxon. I bought a second car, a tow truck. When I was a kid, my parents moved around a lot, but I always found them. If we intend to be of service to others, we have to consider timing.
2: If I had a drum here, I would give you a rim shot. (laughs)
1: That's okay, you could unmute and go... (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) We're going to be very creative here. Thank you. I have been in this spiritual school for a while. We have a relationship with many other schools and different traditions, and I so appreciate that. People from whatever tradition they come from, anybody who has some intention to practice on the path, whether you're part of a group or tradition or not, I just really appreciate people doing that. One thing that came to me as an opportunity was to do theater. I had never done any theater. I'm kind of an introvert and not real expressive in a lot of ways. And I had this opportunity to do theater. It was suggested to me I was given a job if I wanted it, and I jumped. And it was so painful. It was so painful to get out on stage, so self-absorbed. But then you start to get it. You start to get it. You start to dance. And you lose yourself. And it's kind of a timeless place where you're just there, just doing a part. Every once in a while, you just hit it. And I'm so glad for that opportunity. If I had said no to it, I wouldn't have been able to tell those jokes. <laughs> <laughs> So if we intend to be of service to others, we consider timing. So here's a quote from, I don't know how to say their name. These days, you just get on the internet, and you put in a word, and you look for the pronunciation, and you see this face with lips, and they move, and you hear how to pronounce the word. But they said this guy's name in a bunch of different ways, so I don't know if I'm saying it right. Hekakuri, he wrote the Book of the Samurai. So he says, to give a person one's opinion and correct his faults is an important thing. It is compassionate and comes first in matters of service. But the way of doing this is extremely difficult. To discover the good and the bad points of an individual is an easy thing. And to give an opinion concerning them is easy too. For the most part, people think they are being kind by saying the things that others find distasteful or difficult to say. But if it is not received well, they think that there is nothing more to be done. This is completely worthless. It is the same thing as bringing shame to a person by slandering him. It is nothing more than getting it off one's chest. Here's the point. To give a person one's opinion, one must first judge well, whether that person is of the disposition to receive it or not. Timing is everything. To give someone some input or feedback about something, they have to be in a mood to be willing to receive it. The timing has to be right. My intention has to be right. I have to really want to serve that person, not just getting something off my chest. And they have to be in the right space. So things kind of have to come together. Have you ever said something to someone at the wrong time? It might have been the right thing to say, but the wrong time. I have done this with my kids. I think being a parent, you're just super identified. You want for your kids. I mean, there's just so many different layers of stuff going on that I think it's just easier to say things that shouldn't be said necessarily or should be said at a different time? Can you think of any time when you said something that probably should have been said at a different time? So time is not constant. We've established it. Time varies depending on speed and the circumstance. And actually, in infinitesimal ways in our own world, not just if you're moving at the speed of light, it's been shown that astronauts who go up to the space station, when they come down, they have aged, I don't know how they figure these things out, several thousands of a second less than people on Earth, closer to the center of gravity here. Like, wow, Einstein figured this out given these universal considerations but it really applies really right now here time is different for all of us which is pretty mind-blowing but it seems to me like we really have to practice with our relationship to time in the relative world our relationship to time really says a lot think about your relationship to time some people are always on time to a fault I know somebody who's always early. And that would seem like a good thing, a good habit. And it is. But it's possible to always be early because fear it can be fear-based. I always want to make sure. And for other people, we're late. We procrastinate. Or maybe we're avoidant. Maybe somewhat fear-based about what's going to happen. And just unconsciously are not impeccable about time. That was one of the things about Lee like my teacher, his timing. If there's nothing else that he did that made me recognize that there is something about transformation that is true, <laughs> <It's> that. <laughs> to me, it seemed like he was, I can't say always, but to me, always in a relaxed kind of way. He would just leave in the middle of something because he had another appointment me i have an appointment i need to take care of something i want to try to finish that thing so desperately and then i'm running for the next thing our relationship to time really says a lot when we're out of our way the universe moves through us and we know what to do have you had that experience
4: i'm not sure i can think of a specific time but i am aware of having the experience that when i don't have a fixed idea in mind and I'm relaxed, more amazing things happen. I've had that experience. Not a lot, but it feels good and it feels like the movement comes from a whole different place. It's just being in the flow and it's pretty wonderful.
1: I think we all have experienced that. And some pretty wonderful things happen sometimes. My experience is that when my mind slows down, whoa, Eureka! Often something comes up that I've never thought of before. Some creative idea, some creative solution to something. And maybe this comes from some timeless place where I'm not thinking, 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 thinking. And the universe can just move through you. Maybe we go into a space of no time in everyday life. I don't know how many of you meditate. I do. I can't say that I go into a place of no time, no thinking regularly, but often enough, it happens. Or maybe in deep sleep, we're in that space. So maybe this isn't so foreign to us after all, this place of no time. But there's something that's terrifying about it, to ego, to this self-sense that we have. Because if there's no time, then we don't exist. Or who we are identified with doesn't exist. But to move through that seems to me the game. So, okay, let's go into the deep end a little bit here. When something happens, it's really the universe creating the circumstances. And the time within which those circumstances are occurring. One of the reasons to give talks is for the speaker to remind themselves of the things that they're talking about. So that's the case for me. To remember that if this person says something to me, well, yes, it is that person. I do have to deal with that situation. But also, this is what the universe is presenting. If I'm really going to walk the talk, then probably better not to just criticize this person and discount what it is that I don't like. Masters have said that the best outcome always occurs in the time that something happens. I don't like this. Consider the terrible tragedies in the world. I won't name them. We all know what they are. How can that be the best outcome? And then what about when there's personal tragedy? I don't like that either. But it's a deep consideration for me. I'm going to read this from the essential Swami Randas. He's really something. He's an Indian master. I think the time that he wrote this was in the 1930s. Yeah. He says, Sages, illumined with wisdom, proclaim that the worlds are God himself in manifestation and the entire aspect of it is leela or play. Creation, preservation, and destruction constitute the movement of this play. We can use theistic or non-theistic terms, but in theistic terms, this is all God, everything. I don't like that either. There's things that shouldn't be, but they are. So he explains. At present, this is in the 1930s, we are face-to-face with the havoc Brought about by the repeated and destructive shocks of earthquakes in Bihar, Orissa, Nepal, and other surrounding provinces of northern India. Difficult indeed for the rationalist to reconcile these workings of God with his attributes of love, mercy, and peace. Still, the mystic sage maintains that it is all God's work and all for good. The path of salvation. That is, the realization of freedom lies through suffering and tribulation. The sufferer is blessed, and he who is touched by the woes of the sufferer, and thus sacrifices his energy and wealth for his relief, is also blessed. For suffering and sacrifice soften the heart of man and free it from pride, passion, and ignorance. The essential thing needed for his liberation from the thralldom of the individual sense and its fetters. That's a lot. I don't believe in adopting a philosophy that spiritually bypasses my real experience. However, I also think it's important for me to consider what's being said here. The idea of the talks is to present considerations that we can chew on. So, maybe there's no end. And maybe there's no beginning. Everything relative dies, we know that. But it's also said in the scriptures, I think, that what was not born will not die. What is that? It would seem to me like maybe this is a timeless place. And maybe we can practice with that, with this idea of just being. Because when we are just being, we have a different experience. My teacher used to say, there's no top end. So it would be nice to think that we get someplace and then uh, we bask in our idea of what enlightenment is. But maybe there can be peace in aligning with the universe and with its timing. That's not contradictory with the statement, there's no top end. This goes on, perhaps, endlessly. So you can look at it as if the glass is half full or half empty. Always something new. There's always a heat wave or a snowfall or leaves turning different colors. And there's a lot of bittersweetness about that. Because we really have to let go of pretty much everything and appreciate what we have and engage it fully and know that that's the way of the world. But to live this way, it seems we really have to learn something organically, not conceptually. Have to learn something really key because we can say that we do this, but then when we're challenged, maybe we don't. Maybe we're holding on. The first thing you must learn to do is to follow what feels right with a little consideration but no regard for chief future. I won't go deep into that, but sometimes something feels right to me because my personality is winning at something. Nothing wrong with that. But what feels right essentially might feel different than what feels right personality was. So with a little consideration for that, every one of you has probably fallen in love numerous times. And you have known, even when you were a teenager and had never heard of spiritual life, when a love affair was right or wrong. I don't mean right or wrong in a moralistic sense. You knew in your heart that you should be with this person or that being with that person was a whim or a fancy. That knowing applies to food, living circumstances, the car you drive, the clothes you wear, the work you do. Sometimes you need to do work for one reason or another that is not appropriate for you. In that situation, you do the work you need to do. But don't be swayed by your conditioning. Don't be swayed by personality tendencies. Our body runs us, our emotions run us, our desires run us. But our principal focus should be What is appropriate in line with our spiritual work? You can have resistance up and down the line, but follow what you know. You know what feels right and what doesn't feel right. You can apply this to anything. You know what's appropriate for you or not. So I kind of feel like whatever comes down the pike, there is the possibility of relying on my sense of what feels right. and. There are times when chief feature, that's a Gurdjieffian term, or some personality dynamic is so confused, muddled, that I can't really sense what the right thing to do is. At such times, I try to sit with that and let the answer come. Many of you probably do too. And that comes from a space of, I think, no time. Just being. Last thing, in line with this idea that perhaps there can be peace in aligning with the universe and its timing. To me, this is an aim of mine, to align with the universe and its timing. And that takes a lot of work because I see, oh, I want things to go this way and that way. And I think that there's nothing wrong with having a preference. I'm going to go about it this way, but then when something else comes up and pulls me over this way, can I just go with it? if that feels like the right thing to do. Just to beat at the door of trying to get it to go the way I want, I feel all this tension around that. No. But maybe there's tremendous peace, and I've heard even joy, in aligning with the universe and its timing. So Don Juan says to Castaneda, for me, there is only the traveling on paths that have heart, on any path that may have heart. And the only worthwhile challenge is to traverse its full length. And there I travel looking, looking breathlessly. So one of the indications to me that I'm aligning with the universe and its timing is if I'm on a path with heart, that there's some heart in it for me.
4: You were talking earlier about the quote, the best outcomes always occur. That's a philosophy I aim to embrace. I'm not always good at it, but it's interesting in terms of when I get into a space of thinking, Oh, I shouldn't have done that thing because if I didn't do that, then I wouldn't have lost this person or this situation or whatever. The self flagellation part of it, the best outcomes always occur, and it puts that in a whole different perspective and helps. When I get in that spinning cycle of, oh, it's something I've done wrong, to have more trust in life, to be accepting of it.
1: It's kind of tricky, the spiritual teaching that we are not really the doer. We seem to be, but all this is happening all at once. That seems true. I can't make myself see, I can't make myself align with the universe. I can't make myself surrender. But there's the feminine aspect of the divine and being receptive and then acting when it feels right. That seems right to me. So I don't think that we can create all this stuff. It comes to us on the universe's timing. I can't transform myself, but I can be open to transformation. And that will happen when the universe decides. However, I really think as human beings, we have the capacity to resist that. We can keep that at bay. We can push it away. We can say no. And I think we say yes if we open to the opportunities that come to us and follow them. To move out here from New York, New Jersey was tremendously stressful at the time, but it felt right. And I think that as I've gotten more used to that, being willing to take a chance, take a leap into the unknown, if it feels right, you can always step back. Usually you can step back if it's not right, but you build a matrix or you build up some strength to be able to go with things. And the gifts are tremendous. I wouldn't have traded pretty much anything that I've done in my life with having done theater. And that was something that I never would have done. It just kind of came. I know that you guys have some stuff like this.
3: It occurred to me, you said at the beginning, when you were talking about the exploration of space and the force of gravity. I think that when it comes to certain things that come up in our lives, the unfolding, that there's a kind of gravity of the universe that pulls us, that draws us based upon our own mass, our own internal what's happening. But there's a gravity that draws us. And that understanding is really helpful. I can resist the gravity. If I'm a space capsule and I'm resisting the gravity, it's going to take a lot of energy because I have to fire my rockets in the other direction or whatever. Similarly, as a person, if I'm resisting, it's going to take energy to really resist And sometimes I won't be able to resist anyhow. But this whole understanding of the gravity. So the gravity is part of a dynamic alignment. It deals with this whole sense of the timing, because at some point, there's all this kind of alignment that happens. So now we get to practice with that. Yeah. When I see resistance in
1: myself, I kind of relax that and go with the gravity.